0: are talking about money and we are talking about this concept that the Bible talks about called tithing. And the challenge is, is it gets, for many people, it seems to be complicated. And what we want to do is look at what God has to say about this and try to take away some of the complicated components of it and make it very, very simple. And we talked about last week that tithing is not really about dollars and cents, but it's more about my ability to trust God. My ability to trust God and rely on God. We talked about tithing being returning to God what belongs to Him. Returning to God what belongs to Him. So you say, what do you mean returning to God what belongs to Him? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. It says that when God blesses you, that all of this comes from Him. All of this comes from Him. It's not something, it's not something that my skill or my ability, even that, comes from God. Does it require my work and effort? Yes, it does. But God says all of this is yours, And God says, what I want you to do is I just want you to give 10% of this back to me. 10% back to me. And so that's what we talked about last week. We talked about the fact that God can do more with our 10% than we can do with 90%. God can do more with our 10% than we can do with our 90%. And we talked about the fact last week, and this is where I want to spend a few minutes This morning is that tithing is really about trust That's what tithing is tithing is really about trust It's about trusting that god is going to provide and take care of me Now some people have this mistaken notion that tithing is a little bit like a slot machine You put money in you pull the arm you hope you get something back And every once in a while you get the jackpot every once in a while But you put it in you pull it you hope you get something back But that's not really what tithing is all about God has said, I will meet your needs. I will provide for you. I will take care of you. You have to decide if you're going to trust me. And the way that we demonstrate that trust is through giving back to God through a tithe. I want us to take a few minutes and look at a passage in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible with you, if you would turn to Exodus 16. If you don't have a Bible, there's some of the seats in front of you. You can grab one of those. It's page 57. Um, Or if you turn there on your Phone or tablet and follow along. Exodus 16. And in Exodus 16, the people of Israel have left the land of Egypt. They were confronted by the Red Sea. God showed up in an amazing way, opened the Red Sea. They went through the Red Sea on dry ground. The Egyptian armies followed them. God closed the Red Sea up and destroyed the Egyptian armies, and they just had this massive celebration. And so after this massive celebration, they start in the wilderness. Now that they're free from slavery, it's like, uh, now what? Now what? And they weren't quite sure what to do. And so God provided them water. They said, God, we're going to die of thirst. God provided them water. And so they wandered around a little bit more, ate what food they had brought with them. And then they were desperate for food. They said, God, how are you going to feed us? If you don't feed us, we're going to die. And look at their words in Exodus 16, beginning in verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Doesn't sound like people who are trusting God, does it? It Sounds like people who just thought that God had strung them along and now was going to drop them. And they were going to die. So God heard this, and in verse 4, he spoke to Moses. Moses the one that God talked to, the representative of God to the people. He says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So God said, I'm going to feed you. But there are some guidelines in terms of how this is going to work. God says, "I'm going to bring um, meat is going to show up on your doorstep every night, and this thing called manna is going to show up on your doorstep every morning, every morning. But you're only supposed to gather as much as you need for one day. Don't take enough for two days, just enough for one day. And then once a week, you're going to gather enough for two days, for two days. And the reason that God did this is listed in verse eight, when God says, "You will know that it was the Lord when He gives you meat in the morning." meat in the evening, and bread in the morning. See, what God wanted them more than anything is to believe and trust that God was going to take care of them today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that and the day after that. God wasn't going to take care and give them what they needed for five days. For us in our efficient culture, we think, why doesn't God just give them enough for five days? Why didn't he do that? because God wanted them to know that there was a God of the heavens that could take care of them and meet their needs every single day. Every single day. I mean, imagine what that would be like, that when you go to bed tonight, and tomorrow morning, God says, on your doorstep, it's going to be breakfast and lunch. It's going to be there for you. And by the way, when you come home from work, dinner's going to be waiting on the doorstep. Now, you'll have to prepare it. You'll have to prepare it, but... Um, Quail will fall out of the sky. Probably got hit by a drone from Amazon on its way there, you know. But it's going to show up. It's going to show up. Now, for us, we read this story, and we don't think a lot about that, but imagine the amount of faith that that would require and confidence in God. It's hard to wrap my mind around that because I have everything that I need, and I don't have to ask God for things that I need. I usually am asking God for things that would be nice to have. That's usually my life. But they had to ask God for what they needed. And God said, I'm going to give you what you need every day for one reason. So you know that I am the God of the heavens and that I am going to take care of you. So the story goes on. Um, Verse 13, that evening the quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. It's kind of like that snowfall that we had, uh, I guess it was a week ago Friday. Um, You remember that snow? It kind of came in the middle of the night. Then the sun came out, and boom, it was gone. By lunchtime, it was all gone. That's a little bit what they experienced here. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? They had no idea, for they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And then he tells them what they're to do. They're supposed to each gather an omar, which is about a quart for each person in your tent. They did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it all, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. And so this was God's instructions for what the people were supposed to do. Take no more than this, but take what you need, and I will provide for all of your needs. But I'm sure in the midst of that group, there were some people that were, were skeptical. Some people that were skeptical. were skeptics as Westerners. We don't trust authority as Westerners. We're different than other cultures in the world. Asian cultures, they trust and respect authority. Um, You know, African and Latino cultures, they trust and respect the authority. Westerners, we don't. We question them. We always have lots of questions. And questions are good if you're making a big decision and you're trying to evaluate that, but questions are not so good if God says, I want you to trust me. And so I thought about this story. I thought, what would some of the questions, some of the what-ifs? There was probably thinking, well, I know God said he's going to provide today, but what if he doesn't provide tomorrow? Shouldn't I get some extra just in case? What if someone else makes God angry and God forgets about us and then we don't have any food? What if I oversleep and I can't collect my manna tomorrow? What am I going to do then? What if I get sick? Who's going to collect my manna so I have something to eat? And I'm sure there were people who said, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. So the first day they had to go out and collect the manna, the people who said, what if, that scroll that through in their minds, goes on to say what they did in verse 20. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, but they kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. Now, I was thinking, how long does it take something to get a little moldy in the fridge, you know? Probably about a week and a half, two weeks, it's about how long it takes, you get a little green coloring in there, you know. But you leave it sit out on the counter, something fresh, you leave sit out on the counter in the summer with humidity and the warm air, and what happens, you know, a couple days, right? Something can start to mold in just a couple days. This was overnight. This has happened overnight. It's when it took place. And the funny thing was is it made their tents stink. So you could be walking out, picking up your manna. Oh, they didn't listen to God. Oh, they didn't listen to God. Man, that really reeks, you know. You kind of got exposed, you know. We kind of hide when we don't follow God. Nobody knows, right, that I'm not following God. We can hide it. No hiding it in this community. Everybody knew. You were busted. You were busted. And so these people that asked what ifs, they said, "I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And God exposed them. And then God provided again and again and again and again until it got to the sixth day. And now God says, on the sixth day, what I want you to do, in verse 22, they were to gather twice as much, two omars, two quarts for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. And so that's what they were supposed to do. But I imagine there were some even in that day who said, ah, you fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, I'm sure some of them said, I'm not going to collect any extra. I'm not going to collect any extra because I don't want, to be, I don't want my tent smelling. I don't want everybody looking at me. Well, instead, you're starving and asking your neighbor, can, can I, you share a little bit of that? Can I have a little bit of that? You know, I'm kind of hungry. But that's what they were supposed to do, and that's what God commanded for them to do. Look down at verse 27. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found nothing. They found nothing. There's still people that are struggling to trust God, even after he says, this is what I do, will do for you, and I do it over and over and over again. And then when God provides, they still struggle to trust God. And in this story of trust, you can look at this story and you can say, well, it's a story about grumbling. I kind of skipped over the sections about grumbling. Yeah, there's some valuable lessons about grumbling. It's a story about keeping God's word. Yep, it's a story about that. But it's also a story about trusting God Three times in this passage, it says what he says in verse 8. You will know that it was the Lord when he gives this to you. One of the amazing things that happens when you tithe is when you have a need and you ask God about that need, God is the one that brings and provides for you. You know, we sang this song earlier, this new song that Johnny introduced to us called Show Me Your Glory. You know, and I thought, when do we get a chance to catch a glimpse of Of the glory of God. Catch a glimpse of his amazing splendor. Catch a glimpse of his love and of his care for us. And I think this is one of those times when we get a chance to catch a glimpse of God's glory. When we decide we're not going to solve this problem on our own, we're not going to take care of it on our own, we're going to trust God, we're going to give back to God, and we're going to, when we have a need, go to God and say, God, You're going to have to meet this need because I don't know how else this need will be met. And God shows up and he meets that need. One other passage I'd like for you to turn to, and that's a little bit further in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3. The pages on the screen for the Bibles that are down there in front of you. Proverbs 3. And I think if there were two verses that I cling to more than any other verses in the Bible, it might be these two. Uh, Verse five says this Solomon, the wisest guy who ever lived, says gives us this advice Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understandings. You know, the word trust is to put confidence, complete confidence. You know, I sit down on this stool, I have complete confidence that this stool is going to hold me, and I'm not going to fall to the ground. And God says, I want you to put your complete confidence in me with your whole heart. Everything you got. Everything you got. You know, we know when someone's doing something half heartedly, don't we? When their effort is half hearted, when they don't pour themselves into it, when they don't do it well, when they don't finish well. God says, I want you to give, I want you to put your trust in me with everything. That you have, And he says, I don't want you to lean on your own way of figuring it out. Because if you try to do that, it's not going to make sense. It's not going to make sense. I talked to someone between services last week who said, John, I went to a financial advisor and they were helping me get my finances in order and they gave me some good advice. But, but when I said, now now this is how much I want to give back to God, they said, you can't give back, back, back that much. They said, why not? Well, because it won't work. It won't work. The numbers... Don't add up if you give that much back to God and still pay all your bills. And so this person had to wrestle with, do I trust God or do I lean on my own understanding? Do I trust God and do I lean on my own understanding? I heard another story of someone who chose not to tithe and that exact money they didn't tithe is what their extra bills were for that month. Now, some would say, well, that's God just getting them back, but that's not the God I know and love. Sometimes things happen that way. But God says, I want you to lean not on your own way of figuring it out. Because if you try to figure this out, it's not going to make sense. It's not going to add up. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, in all your ways, submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. You know, God says to us, are you going to submit to me in your career? Are you going to submit to me with your relationships? Are you going to submit to me in parenting? Are you going to submit to me with your finances are you going to submit to me with your struggles with your addictions with your habits are you going to submit every god says submit to me with everything and we're talking just about the finances and here's the promise that god makes and he will make your paths straight so what does that mean what does that mean well the idea of path straight is the idea of clearing a path so that you can move forward If you're lost in the woods and you're trying to find your way, you're looking for the path that's clearly marked. And God has a path that's clearly marked. The Bible says that God marks out our paths before we are conceived. And so God knows my path and He knows your path and He knows what those are. And when I'm trying to solve my problems, when I'm trying to fix my life, my way, the path gets all cluttered up and I can't see God's way. And God says, you have to decide if you're going to trust me on this one. You have to decide if you're going to trust me. And if you're going to bring this to me, I'm going to clear some of this clutter away, maybe through your insight or someone else that God brings into your life. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, now I can see a way, clearly, to do this. Verse 7, he says that again. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't try to figure it out yourself. And then in verse 9 he says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. You know, the idea of first fruits is when the, you get the first harvest. And in those days, what a farmer would normally do with the first seeds or fruit from the harvest, they would save those for the next year. That was called their seed crop for the next year. They didn't have a place they could go down and buy all their seed, but in an agricultural society, you always save the first so that you were guaranteed if nothing else happened, you would have it for next year. Sounds like a pretty good idea, doesn't it? But God says, I want you to give the first fruit back to me. The first fruit back to me. And in giving the first fruit back to God, it says, God, I'm trusting you with my future, and I'm trusting you with my present right now. That's pretty big. I'm trusting you with the future, and I'm trusting you with my present right now. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, he says, Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So those of you with barns and vats, you're in great shape. The rest of us have to go find some other place. No, no that's not how God works. God just meets our needs. God shows up in our lives in ways that we can't fathom, in ways that we don't understand, in ways that sometimes just don't add up, sometimes just don't make sense. And God says to us, he says, even if even if you've got ten of these, he says, This is what I'm gonna bless you with. I'm gonna give you this. And all I'm asking you to do is just give one of these back to me. Just give one of them back to me. And if even when the numbers get a little bit bigger, as we looked at last week, even when the numbers go from the Hamiltons to the, to the excuse me, the Hamiltons to the Franklins, even when they get a little bit bigger, God says, I just want you to give one of these back to me. Just one. Back to me. That's all God is saying for you to do. And so our challenge that I gave you last week was this. My challenge to our whole church, to all of us, is to commit to giving God that full 10% for a 90-day period of time. You can decide when it starts. You can decide that. And if for any reason during that 90-day period of time, God does not meet your needs, we will give you all of the money that you've given to us back. Because we believe that God will meet our needs. And as I said to you last week, this is not about money. This is not about dollars and cents. This is not because our church can't pay salaries or we might not be able to pay the heat bill. It's not because of any of that. It's because we want you, we want our whole church to walk into a way of life that's all about trusting God fully, even with our money. That's one of the most difficult ways for us to do that. I've asked one of our guys to join me on stage um, just to tell you a little bit of his story and his journey and learning this and walking through this and seeing God provide for him. But as he does, they're going to put the image on the screen. of the, It's on our website, the 90-Day Challenge. Just go to our website and click that. And we would love for you, if you want to participate in this challenge, just click that, click a button, say, I want to participate. I want to participate. Because we there's no numbers, no financial information, just I want to be involved and I want to do this. And uh, we want to see you be able to see God show up in your life in some amazing, amazing ways. So I've asked Ted Wolf to join me. Ted's been a, a long-term friend and a historically long-term member of our church. He was one of the first people that we met when we moved into this area, and so I've asked him to join us on stage and tell us a little, tell you a little bit of his journey in this area. So, Ted, to get us started, tell us. Um, how were you raised to view finances? Because, as I said before, you know, how you're raised to view that really affects how we view that right now. So tell us a little bit of that.
1: Well, I was raised in a big family, and we didn't have much money. My dad worked real hard, but just didn't make a lot. And he worked a lot of double shifts and picked up a lot of jobs on the side. And us kids would go along with him and, and help him do those jobs and, you know, just try to pay the bills.
0: So what was the message you got at the dinner table every night about money?
1: Dad would preach to us, you know, you got to save, you got to work hard, you got to save. And, and so, you know, I, was, I didn't want to grow up to be like my parents with their struggles in finances. I mean, I love my parents. They're great parents and role models and stuff. And, but, uh, but I didn't want to struggle like that. So the message that I got was that you work hard for everything you've got. It's all yours, you, you know, you, and, and that's your security, if you can, if you can accumulate enough, this is the message I heard. It's not actually what was said, but if you can accumulate enough money, everything's good. You don't have any troubles.
0: So tell us a little bit of your life situation when you relocated and moved into this, moved into Lancaster County. Okay,
1: what happened was I was uh, working as a mortgage broker, and the office was down in Chester County. I lived in Chester County, but like kind of halfway between Coatesville area. My office was in Exton, so. Every morning, I'd get up, and go into the office in Exton, five o'clock in the morning or whatever, work there till noon or one or whatever, come out to Lancaster County for appointments, and then I would get home maybe ten, eleven o'clock at night, and um, made good money and, and was, you know, uh, didn't have any debt other than a small mortgage on a pretty nice house, and um, we're paying that down and everything. But my wife had, well, at the time we had two little girls, my wife was home alone all the time because I was working like insane hours, but I was. Reaching my goal, I was making a lot of money and stashing a lot what was and your so goal? my goal was well my goal was my one goal was to pay off my mortgage at thirty and be a millionaire by forty okay, so that was your goal,
0: and we're this so, close Yeah, <laughs> not quite um, so that was your goal, so you were in a, you were in this house, work demands, um, so you decided you need to make a change. so what happened when you made that change?
1: Well, like I said, uh, you know uh, because I was working so many hours, Atlanta was not real happy, we didn't have much of a relationship, and so I thought if we move to Lancaster County, I can work from home, I don't have to run into the office at Exton every morning, and, and you know, I can kind of reduce my, my hours working. Mm-hmm. So we decided to, to buy a home up here, uh, which we did, and we didn't sell the other one back there, and within the matter of a couple of weeks, during all this, before we actually made settlement up here, uh, the, the company that we worked for restructured our commission, we were going to be making about half as much money. So myself and two of the other guys decided we'd start our own mortgage firm. Uh, at the same time, this is all in a four or five week period. And at the same time, uh, the savings and loan crisis happened. I don't know if a lot of you remember that, but in like ni- 1990, savings and loan crisis happened, and banks were not approving loans. Without approved loans, I get zero commission, and there you go. So now I have a wife, two little girls, and two mortgages and zero income.
0: And so at that point in time is when God, through a series of events, we connected with you. You guys started to become involved in the church. So tell us, as you um, tell us how you heard about the concept of tithing and uh, why, when you started to do that.
1: Okay, I'm not really sure. My wife said that we heard it in a message somewhere. I don't know. But Thanks, Ted. <laughs> well, it, we hadn't even had a first church service yet. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it was just basically a Bible study. John and Christine would come over, and, and every Thursday we'd have a Bible study at our house, and just the four of us. And, and so somewhere along the line, I heard Malachi 3 about tithing. And I thought, you know, we had zero income, literally zero income. And, you know, we still had payments and whatnot, and, feeding the kids and all, and so I couldn't tithe because 10% of zero is zero. So I had an excuse. But no, so we started giving. We did have some savings. You know, it was being depleted pretty quick, uh, but we started to give.
0: And did I answer the question? I think you did. Okay. Yeah. So as you have done that, that's been something that you started when you really didn't have anything to give, and you've continued that practice for um, many, many years. How have you seen God provide and God show up in your life in some remarkable ways?
1: Well, when we started doing that,
0: um, like I said, we had two houses,
1: and our the, the house that we weren't living in sold when we had $17 left in the bank. And then business started picking up, and things got better slowly, and but they've consistently gotten better. And um, you know, so God has provided like that in those ways. How do He provide this? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I said in the first service. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, not that we're destitute or anything, but I'm cheap and I don't like to spend money. And I said to my wife, I said, hey, you know, I'd really like to get a coat, a nice coat that I could wear to church. So we go up every, every Christmas, we go up and we visit our dad up in Lewistown. And we were there a couple of days and we're walking out the door and Her stepmom says, hey, Ted, she says, Dale has a coat here that he bought, and he wore it like two times, and he doesn't want it anymore. Do you want it? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) You know, it's a pretty nice coat, but I wasn't going to spend the money for it.
0: So how has God provided in other ways with uh, helping vehicles last or just meeting your needs in other unique ways?
1: Yeah, I really appreciated John's story last week about his lawnmower and, he, you know, how he mows 12 <laughs> acres every week. And, you know, he's used a quarter of a gallon of, of gas in the 15 years that he's had it. But, you know, how God and, – uh, and oftentimes that's how God provides, at least for me. It's not like you said earlier you put 10 bucks in and you get $40 out or whatever. Oftentimes it's providing things that we need – and if we wait on him, oftentimes he provides those things if he sees that we need them. Sometimes we kind of confuse needs and wants. But mm-hmm. on Friday, uh, well, let me back up. We, we buy vehicles 15, 20 years old, 150,000 miles on them or whatever. And I'm not real mechanical, so it's always a concern when we're going to take a long trip. But on Friday, we took our van, which is 17 years old and has 190 plus thousand miles on it. Drove up and back to New York, 14 hours on the road, and not a bit of trouble.
0: So it's just one example of just many of Just one of that, many. many. Uh, the, how God has done that. And, and, you know, it really illustrates that this issue of trust means that we're not going to God with conditions. We're not going to God and saying, God, I'll give this, but you need to do this. Right. We're going to God and saying, God, I'm going to give this, and I'm going to trust that you're going to meet my need in some way. Mm-hmm. One of the other challenges that this sometimes exposes is, um, bigger challenges with our finances when we recognize that maybe things are too tight or we're saying, I don't know how this can work. So um, can you tell us about our class that's coming up, Financial Peace University, and how that can help people in that journey as well?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll be starting a week and a half, I guess, from now. We'll be starting the new Financial Peace uh, class. It's a nine-week series. There's, there's a, we watch a video, and then we discuss, and where there's a little bit of homework and talk about different things like how to manage your, your finances in a biblical way and oftentimes unfortunately we don't do that and when we do it God's way it works you know you may not live in a mansion and have brand new cars every other year but if you're doing things God's way there is a financial peace you know one thing I didn't say in either services when I had all this money I mean I had a lot of money for a young kid with a high school diploma I had a lot of money but I stressed over it, and I worried over it all mm. the time. When God took all that away from me and, and proved His faithfulness, there's no worries. I don't worry about money, you know. Mm. Mm. My wife can do whatever she wants. She takes trips? No. <laughs>
0: no, I'm, I'm still cheap, but you know, you realize, we're recording this, and she's back there recording it for us. so So yeah.: oh. Well, thanks, Ted. I appreciate you sharing your story and sharing how God has done this in your life and uh, for your commitment to help others. To lead. Ted leads our Financial Peace Workshop, so um, Angie will tell you us a little bit more about that. So would you thank Ted for sharing this story? So thanks, Ted. <laughs> Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks. I just leave it right here. So we've tried to highlight this for you in some humorous and fun ways. You know, when God gives 100, we give back what? Yeah. Thank you. You remembered that. All right, take that with you you know, and that the issue is really an issue of trust. It's really an issue of trust. Am I willing to trust God and watch him provide for you? And so our prayer, my prayer for all of us is that as we grow in our ability to rely on God and our ability to trust God, that we will see God walk with us and meet our needs in amazing ways. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray just to end our service this morning? God, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for this opportunity just in a lot of fun, creative ways to be reminded of what this message is all about. It's not very complicated, but we do not trust very well. And so, Lord, we are faced with this huge challenge that we have to find a way to trust you um, with something that there is not always a clear plan moving forward. Um, And so, God, I pray for... The individuals who are here, I pray for the husbands and wives who are having these conversations. I pray for our high school students and our college students who say, I don't have two nickels to rub together, just like Ted shared his story, but I believe God wants me to do this and that they would start this very early in their lives and just watch God provide. Um, And so, God, my prayer is that for us as a church community, that we will deepen our faith, deepen our trust, deepen our reliance upon God, in amazing, amazing ways as we take this one step of being able to give back that 10% to Him. Help us to do that, God. We need Your help because we can't do this on our own. In Your name we pray. Amen. Angie?